Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper alongside Ben Badler as we're going to talk a little AL Central prospects today and, and also take a little, uh, little broader look and look also at kind of some of the, the top prospects list that we've had over the last decade and, and kind of see how a little bit how that compares to maybe one of the top teams we have this year. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone that we are sponsored, as we have been uh, for a while now, by, the podcast is sponsored by MLB Network. And if you're a Baseball America podcast listener, you probably already know this, but MLB Network's coverage does obviously does not end with the, uh, the World Series. Hot Stove League coverage, you know, we check it out all the time. And obviously you should as well if you're trying to keep on top of what's happening for your team in the off season as we head into, we just came out of the GM meetings. We'll be heading into winter meetings next month and, uh, you know, let several trades happen this week. Uh, before we kind of dive into the AL Central, I would ask you, Ben, what any trade this week that has uh, surprised you or any potential trade that you're hearing about? Uh, well, I think uh, the big surprise is that Justin Upton is available. And, you know, I think we'll talk about him. Uh, a little bit when we're talking about some of the best farm systems, but the fact that they're making him available uh, is is kind of shocking because you never you, you really never see a guy with with that kind of youth and talent uh, and production and, and and production already uh, become available in a trade. And to think it's it's sort of hard to wrap your mind around <laughs> what it would take. <laughs> To be able to acquire Justin Upton in a trade, it's, 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 it sounds like one of those, tra- you know, we get emails or questions yeah. in the chat. Well, could we trade, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, a bunch of our marginal prospects for uh, some superstar like Justin Upton? You think, all right, well, come on, this is ridiculous. But then you, you hear he actually is on the trading block, and what? to be able to wrap your mind around what exactly it would take to acquire Justin Upton in a trade. Is uh, it, it's it's difficult to <laughs> to kind of comprehend because there's really not much historical precedent for it. And, and if you did trade him, I mean, for one, I mean, we should note that his contract is actually pretty reasonable for the next several years as Absolutely. well. So this is not a case of of trading a, a 28 year old, you know, with two years left on this deal, who's going to be making 15 mil or anything like that. But with that, you know, yeah, it's almost like do the do the rules almost get thrown out? Like with a guy like that, would you need what two you know two elite prospects three elite prospects? I I think you need at least at least two truly I mean elite prospects because it's and really how many teams say, that, can, can even pull off that, a deal like that? The that Rays really, I think have the talent. You know the, the Royals will get to you know they have the talent. But I'm not sure they would it would really make sense for them to just go after Upton and, and trade away what they have on the farm. But there really aren't many teams that. I think would be able to give to give the Diamondbacks the return that you know if if I was a GM of the Diamondbacks that I would want and, and feel comfortable trading away a player like Justin Upton for because if you're trading away Justin Upton the other thing about it is is that you you can't trade him for a 
relatively young, you know, somewhat proven, inexpensive major leaguer as the cornerstone because that's just, in some ways, that's just trading Justin Upton for Justin Upton. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, at, uh, or a lesser version of Justin Upton. So, but if you trade him for prospects saying, hey, okay, we think we're a couple of years away, well, as you said, if you're talking about elite prospects, you eliminate probably 15 to 20 teams right there because this is not a trade that you can do by saying, okay, well, give us one elite prospect and give us five other guys who are so-so, and, and we'll see if we find something out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you look, and you know, Cameron Mabin was traded, uh, and Andrew Miller were both traded uh, you know, within the last week. Their value, you know, what they got for Miguel Cabrera, you would have to top what those guys were, I think, at the time to be able to acquire Justin Upton. You'd have to be able to top the Cabrera deal. Uh, obviously, Miller and, and Maven haven't developed quite as, as you'd expect, although I, I think Maven is still right. very young. He's younger than Desmond Jennings, <laughs> who who is still an elite prospect. So um, I, I think you'd have to come up with a, a huge, huge package to be able to, to acquire Justin Upton. You mentioned, you know, okay, the Royals and Rays are two teams that could, if they wanted to, at least be involved in that. Because, I mean, if you just said, if you're just talking about prospects, Either of them. I mean, the Rays have, you know, they could do a Desmond Jennings, do a Matt Moore, or a Jeremy Helkson, or, you know, if they were really wanted them all three, that would be... Or throwing a guy like Garza or, right. or Shields if they want, you know, more major league... Uh, right, but th- those are elite prospects. The mm-hmm. Royals have probably five guys who would qualify as truly elite prospects right now. But the, the question with that then becomes like, you know, the Yankees have, in Jesus Montero, clearly, I mean, he's an elite prospect. Mm-hmm. But... They have several other very good prospects, but I don't know if there's anyone else that you could truly qualify as elite if you were talking about saying you need two top 20 prospects as part of this. I don't know if the Yankees have another top 20 prospect. I think you could say the same thing. The Red Sox are usually linked with deals like this. I don't know if the Red Sox, you could maybe say Casey Kelly's a top 20 prospect, but I don't know if you know if there's another Red Sox prospect who would who would make that cut? I don't think they. I, I don't see how the Red Sox would have the talent to to even pull off a, a deal for for Upton. I mean, yeah, you have Casey Kelly. You have you know in the major leagues maybe have Daniel Bard or, or Ellsbury you want to throw in, but you know those guys are are not the kind of talent that uh, you know you, you can start with Kelly and and Ellsbury and Bard, and that's you know a decent start. But, <laughs> but yeah, the- I still think you need more elite talent than that coming in return. And I don't. I don't think the Red Sox have that kind of talent at the top of the farm system to be able to, you know, whether it's Iglesias or, or Rizzo or, or whoever, I, I just don't see that the Red Sox have the kind of talent that would justify uh, parting ways with Justin Upton. And really what it comes down to, again, is it's just hard for us to wrap your brain around, though, why you would want to trade away Justin Upton, because this is the kind of guy that you build a team around, not the kind of guy that you try to, you know, you trade away and say, okay, well, we're, because I don't feel like that the Diamondbacks are looking at it as starting over. Because if they are, they're a long ways away. Because that farm system's not a farm system that's ready to produce enough to be, you know, kind of the cornerstones. The cornerstones are not sitting in Double A saying, okay, well, we're a year or two away right now. No, I think you have the. You'll get the Royals. They might trade one of their elite players. They might trade Zach Greinke, and that makes a little bit more sense because, because your window for competition is more likely going to be a few years down the road. Right. Who knows if Greinke is still going to be there then. You, maybe you want to trade Greinke at, you know, this isn't the peak of his value, but when still he's healthy very, yeah. and still one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. 
So that I can understand. Upton, you know, I know he has, you know, he had some shoulder problems. Maybe that's a little bit more than they're they're letting on. But you know, obviously none of us have you know intimate knowledge of what's going on inside Justin Upton's shoulder. So it, it's that, really that's hard part to of understand. Baseball what's America 3.0. We're gonna get the little, you know, we're gonna shrink ourselves down and just you know swim around in Justin Upton's shoulder and start getting yeah. X-rays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, before we jump into the AL Central, I did want we had a couple of questions on the uh, on our Facebook page, which thanks again. Facebook.com uh, slash Baseball America, I believe. And you can shoot questions there. You can shoot them to podcast at BaseballAmerica.com as well. But a couple of Indians questions. So I wanted to ask them to you because Ben Badler did our Indians list, uh, which just posted up on the site this week. And it's also in the issue that should be uh, hitting subscribers' mailboxes really any day now. But so a couple questions on the Indians. Uh, one here from... Jobu for Cleveland, so uh, I think that's a major league fan. But uh, he asked, "Why did you guys? What did you guys like about Chisenhall that put him over Kipnis, who had a better statistical year?" So I'll turn it over to you, Ben. I think with Chisenhall, he's, you know, maybe Kipnis's numbers were were a little bit better, but I think there's a couple things there. Uh, one is, you know, Kipnis is, uh, you know, a little bit older uh, than than Chisenhall, which is, you know. As a mental shortcut, you, you know that Chisholm was drafted before right. Kipnis, but at the same time, uh, Kipnis still is older uh, than than Chisholm. Uh, the other thing is, I think Chisholm Kipnis has a good swing. It's very loose, very handsy swing. Uh, you know, I think we ranked him pretty aggressively still, but at the same time, it's not that pure. You know, he can get long a little bit at times, uh, whereas Chisholm is very short, compact. Uh, you know, they're both very balanced hitters who can, uh, you know, they can both use the whole field, but I, I think Chisholm's swing and his bat speed uh, and, and his power potential, you know, Kipnis is very strong hands, uh, really uses his hands well and can, you know, he's not a big guy, but he'll surprise you with the, right. the power he can hit. But I think Chisholm, he's not going to be a 30-plus homer guy the way maybe a Moustakis would be, but I think he has the potential to regularly hit 20, 25 home runs a year hit for a little bit more power. His numbers, and, you know, we, we talked about it in the in the write-up, uh, in Chisholm Hall's write-up, but I think what really held down his numbers early in the year was that he was trying to play through a shoulder injury. Which that's always, as a hitter, that's a, a tough injury. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, we, we make a lot about, you know, pitcher injuries and how that affects our performance, but if you're a hitter and you're trying to play through a shoulder injury, you know, it can affect you a lot of different ways, physically and mentally, you know, you're taking, you know, how many swings are you taking in, in BP every day that you're trying to really let it loose, but it's it's hard to when your your shoulder it's such a complex joint to be able to, uh, you know, swing at to to keep your swing consistent and to generate the power that you would normally have if your shoulder were healthy. Uh, it's really really difficult to do and. And to get that uh, full release at the end of your swing, because there's kind of that if you got that back of your head that oh this oh is gonna yeah. hurt. Oh yeah, I mean I... Scott Rowland had a you know a pretty major shoulder injury, uh, I believe it was in his er- earlier or mid 30s, and he had to adjust his swing, you know, as a result of it. So, uh, you know, guys can Chisholm Hall wasn't wasn't that serious, which is I don't think it's a concern uh, going or not a major concern going forward, but uh, I think it really kind of took a, a bite into his numbers early in the year. So, you know, when you look at the the final numbers, they're, they're solid, not spectacular. But if you look at what he did once he came back from that shoulder injury and, 
and was was healthy again and, and swinging the bat that you know he's capable of. I, I think that's where you see the numbers really took off from from there. Uh, Nard Indians question we had Nick Kruger asked how much consideration did Matt Packer get for Cleveland's top ten because uh, he had ama- he was amazing this year and completely skipped high Kinston. Unbelievable year, yeah. It's uh, uh, almost back to back or almost ERA titles in two of the last three years in college and then the. Uh, yeah, he, he just, I mean, you look at his draft status, and he's just one of those guys who, you know, he really knows how to pitch, and you think, all right, maybe he's just a, an or guy. I mean, he's not <laughs> he's not just an or guy. I think the Indians have the kind of talent where he wasn't really in consideration for the top 10, but he should be there in the top 30 when the when the prospect handbook comes out because he's more than just a, a guy with, you know, a, a mid-80s fastball throwing you know, fringy stuff out there. Who's just has a really good idea of how to get right. You know, he's lower not hitters out. He, he's more than that. He, you know, he'll, he'll, he's you know, 88 to, to 91. He'll get up to 92, 93 there at times. But uh, he's not about power. He's about throwing strikes, keeping hitters off balance, keeping the ball on the ground, which he does a, a great, great job of. Uh, and he, he's a left-hander with a good changeup. You know, if you're a left-hander, you can throw the fastball and the changeup. Uh, for strikes and and they're good pitchers, they're both good pitches like they are with uh, you know with Packer, you can have success because you're going to face a lot of right-handed batters and that's going to be able to, you know his his breaking stuff isn't going to be big power breaking stuff. It's going to sw- uh, get a lot of swings and misses, but he's going to keep a lot of hitters off balance, uh, be able to pitch to right-handed hitters well, uh, and keep the ball on the ground. So, you know I don't see him as necessarily a top of the rotation kind of guy, but he can fit in there somewhere in the the back of the rotation, and and I think he's really going to be a steal for the Indians at at some point. Right, he's like he's more of a project as a number four, number five, right? Which those guys usually don't make the top ten because we it's a mixture of ceiling and you know and likelihood of reaching that. But in his case, he he seems like a pretty safe back end of the rotation guy. Sure, yeah, I mean it's you know how safe he is. It's uh. I think there's a lot of guys who, we, who sometimes we call safe, like uh, just because they have back of the rotation potential. So, uh, you know, is he a, a safe kind of guy? I don't know, but I think he does have the ability to to pitch in the back of the rotation. Right. Um, well, moving on from that, one of the things we want to talk about today, I, I, we have not released our organization talent rankings, and we won't do that for a while. We'll have a, a version of that that'll be in the prospect handbook when, when that comes out. We're working on that now. Send it to the printers right before Christmas, and it'll be in. If you purchased it through BaseballAmerica.com, uh, go to our store. You'll have it in your hands. Hopefully, uh, I believe the last I saw was at the in late January. So, but with that, we haven't given the official who's going to be number one or anything like that. But I don't think we're giving anything away. I think we've said it multiple times on the site that the Royals look pretty safe that they will be the the number one organization this year when we uh, when we come out with those rankings. We rolled out the top ten for them this week as well, and with that, we kind of wanted to take a little broader view on the podcast and kind of look at some of the number one organizations in, in recent years when we've done this and kind of maybe compare a little bit like what the uh, what the Royals list now looks like compared to those lists then. And so we picked out a couple of the, uh, the, of the top tens from teams that we ranked number one. First off, I'll, I'll go back. Going back to 2003, we had the Indians number one, and back then we had Brandon Phillips number one, who now is a very, very solid second baseman for the Reds. We have Victor Martinez two, which if you're 
listening to this, you know Victor Martinez. Cliff Lee, three. He's pretty good, too. Uh, Jeremy Godfrey, four, who's now a solid rotation guy in Baltimore. Travis Hafner, five. Ricardo Rodriguez, six. Grady Sizemore, pretty good, seven. Billy Traber, eight. Brian Tallett, nine. Jason Davis, ten. The question we're really kind of trying to study a little bit with this is, I guess I'll, I'll throw the question out to you. You look at, like, this Royals top ten. That Indians top ten right there was a big part uh, of why the Indians made the playoffs, why they, you know, were up and down, but had some very solid years there, especially in the middle of the decade. But what when you look at this Royals top ten, do you think that this is a uh, a list that could get the Royals actually above, you know, above 500 to start? But what do you think, I mean, when you look at it, do you think they have a, the potential to actually turn things around there? Yeah, I, th- I think they do. Uh, the the Indians list that you just talked about is really a, it's 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 almost a best case scenario for pretty much You're almost every prospect <laughs> that that you just named hit their their best case scenario. It's it's. Uh, I was gonna say you had I mean Cliff Lee's a, a Cy Young caliber. I mean he's a he's a number one starter. Absolutely. So, so that if you can get one number one starter, I mean that those are so rare. There's not 30 of those out there. Uh, Grady Sizemore, when healthy, has been uh, essentially a, a first division uh, all-star center fielder. That's what you're looking to get. Travis Hafner has been kind of the, the anchor in the middle of an order that you're looking for. Um, Victor Martinez is a hit, you know, a catcher who, who hits for average at, you know, year after year after year is is hard to find. And Brandon Phillips is one. Now they obviously, they didn't get the benefit out of Brandon Phillips, but Brandon Phillips has been a, a very solid kind of on the cusp of an all-star second baseman for, for multiple years now. Yeah. yeah. And, and Guthrie, I think is probably one of the more underrated starters in, in the American league, partly just because he doesn't have huge uh, strikeout numbers and partly probably because he, he pitches in Baltimore, but uh, <laughs> you know, that, that whole list, those guys all hit their, you know, when you come up with the rosiest projections you, you can come up with, those guys all hit them, which is right. that, remarkable. That's a rare. If you have a top ten that does that, and we should mention that you know we do top thirty in the book. Well, like Johnny Peralta was number seventeen. Uh, you know, they had a couple of other guys. Ryan Church was number twenty-five. Um, Coco Crisp twenty-six. So they had a. Josh Bard, 15. They had additional players in that top 30 who've become solid big leaguers as well. You know, I think you touched on it, though, that that's a best-case scenario. One of the things I think when you're looking at a list like this Royals list, I mean, the top five, I did the list, the top five, if you just said number five prospect on the list is Mike Montgomery, there are a lot of teams out there who, if they had Mike Montgomery as their number one prospect, would be pretty happy with it. And there's a lot of teams who realistically, if you put Mike Montgomery in their system, he would be their number one prospect. I think uh, I, I think you make the case that he'd be the number one prospect in any system in the AL Central. Uh, I, I mean, I would I, I do in the Indian system, I would take Montgomery over, uh, probably over Lonnie Chisenhall. I know he had some you know some elbow problems this year, but uh, But came back from it, was throwing 95 again, and he <laughs> he's, I, I think he's one of the elite pitching prospects in, in the game, so I, I wouldn't have any problem uh, putting him there, but uh, yeah, it's you know how 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 these guys develop. Obviously, it's uh, you know it's, it's interesting looking at the Royals list too because that Indians list had so many guys who were came over in in trades like like Phillips uh, and and Cliff Lee. 
and Sizemore and, and guys from Latin America like Martinez and uh, Peralta there at the end, but uh, the Royals list is all guys that they drafted. So yeah. it's it's really a phenomenal job they've been able to, to do this all all through the draft. And and the interesting thing when you say the draft, there's not uh, it and it's entirely through the draft. Their Latin American program, which obviously you know a lot about, uh, you know everyone's Latin American program. Their Latin American program is better now, but it's still not. I mean, one through ten on here is all draft guys. Now eleven through twenty, there's a number of very interesting Latin American prospects that, that are working in there. But but yeah, it's no trades in that top ten and, and completely done through the draft. Yeah, and I but I, and I think you know will this help the Royals get over the hump and, and become a, a contending team in the AL Central? You know, I think if you look at the historical precedent, what's happened in the past with these teams that have had great farm systems, uh, teams that we've you know farm systems that we've ranked number one or or systems at the top like the Indians, uh, you know, back when uh, or before they they were coming, uh, you know. It, before they were in the playoffs, you had the Indians, uh, the Rays had a, an elite farm I'll, system. I'll, I'll pull out another one. Here's the uh, the 08 Rays top ten, which this is another one that was number one for us. Evan Longoria one, David Price two, Jake McGee three, Wade Davis four, Reed Brignac five, Desmond Jennings six, Jeff Neiman seven, Jeremy Hellickson eight, Ryan Royster nine, Chris Mason ten. Tails off a little bit at the end there, Ryan Royster, Chris Mason, but you're talking about Neiman. Davis, Price are all members of the rotation now. Longoria is one of the best players in the American League. Brignac's a starter for them as well, and Hellickson was our minor league player of the year this year and is ready for the rotation as well. That's another that's it may not be as we're not as far along, so we can't say it's the best case scenario like the Indians, but that's another list that is if they if the Royals can get that, they'd be pretty happy, I think. It's almost it's almost as uh I think the Rays also have done a great job developing the guys that they have drafted too, and you know Price and Longoria so far, I would say is pretty much the uh, the best case scenario with a Cy Young and, and uh, an MVP ca- caliber. Yeah. You know, yeah. Price was second in the Cy Young this year in his second full, full season. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other team I'll just pull out. Now this was not number one. This was number three for us at the time. But Diamondbacks 2007. Justin Upton, Chris Young, Carlos Gonzalez, Alberto Cayaspo, Miguel Montero, Micah Owings, Mark Reynolds, Dustin Nippert, Tony Pena, and Ross Ollendorf. Which, again, I think what we keep you know coming back to, got top you got a top ten there. Ten guys aren't going to make it. I think we feel you know, we can feel pretty confident on that. If ten guys all make it as solid regulars, then you have the best prospect class of all time. But if it is going to be one of those elite ones, you will talk about down the road that three or four of those guys have become cornerstone type players, and if you have that, that that's that's a lot to build around, obviously. And I mean, even the Diamondbacks that year, they had they had drafted Scherzer too. Is yeah, that Scherzer right? not signed yet, but they had drafted him, and so he was. If he had signed a little earlier, he'd have been top of that part of that top ten too. And that was Anderson, is Brett Anderson? Brett as well? Anderson was number eleven. Right. So I mean, you had that system had. I think the differences between. What Cleveland did, uh, and what the Rays of what Cleveland and the Rays did, is that they held on to all of their their prospects for the most part. I mean, you know, I know they traded away Delman Young, uh, you know, but they ended up getting Matt Garza in return. But uh, for the most part, those teams held on to those top prospects, 
and they just had patience and they let natural progression take its course and those guys developed and they they turned themselves into playoff teams whereas the Diamondbacks uh you know they, they gave they, up on Carlos Gonzalez they gave up on early. Carlos Gonzalez uh, you know, they, they traded away Brett Anderson, they traded away Max Scherzer, uh, and now, you know, you look at the... Chris Carter's not established yet, but he was on that list also. Absolutely, and, and, and you look at that, and, you know, they trade away all that young talent, and you look at where the farm system is now, uh, it's it's not quite as uh, a bright of a picture going forward, and I think they really paid for, you know, giving, you know, I, they got some good talent in return for some of those guys, but... Uh, you know, I think they'd much rather right now have Carlos Gonzalez and, and Brett Anderson um, back on on that team. Absolutely. Uh, I think that would make them a, a much better team uh, going forward if they had those guys still. The, the thing that jumped out in doing this Royals list, finish the top 30, have sent it to Jim as well, and it goes beyond the top 10 because, well, one of the things that helps them on this was working it up. 27 players from last year's top 30 still qualified for this year's top 30. They're, they traded one guy in the top 30 from last year away, uh, Carlos Rosa, and two guys, Keila Kahui and Blake Wood, no longer qualified. They made it to the majors. Yeah, their talent was really concentrated really in the, really. the lower minors. And now it's all concentrated. The interesting thing is, is it's their low A team was not really that stacked, especially Will Myers was there briefly but moved on up. But all of the Royals' talent was largely stacked between high A and double A, and now it's stacked between high A and triple A, probably going into the 2011 season. Their, the, their Northwest Arkansas rotation at the start of the year could be John Lamb, Mike Montgomery. Now, again, this is obviously heading into spring training, but John Lamb, Mike Montgomery, Chris Dwyer, Danny Duffy, and Aaron Crow, which... That's five ro- five pitchers in your top ten in, in the same rotation. What will be interesting to see going forward, again, they have a lot of depth beyond that too, but now the, it seems like is the really in- they had a great year last year. Now, it's almost hard to say they could have as good a year next year because with the exception of really of Crow and Tim Melville, almost every other prospect in their system both stayed healthy and had success. Yeah, I would not want to be a, a left-handed hitter in the Texas League <laughs> early early in the year if uh, Northwest Arkansas is on the schedule. And, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with, you know, Arguella still. But, uh, you know, like you said, almost everybody in that system <laughs> developed the way that the Royals really would have hoped, yeah. w- hoped in their in their best-case scenario. I mean, Hosmer, Moustakis, Myers, Montgomery, Lamb all had big years, all moved up. Uh, at some point during the season, Dwyer moved up during the season. Duffy, you know, left baseball for a little while, still came back and moved up and threw harder and threw harder. Yeah, it, it really was. It was a, a, a pretty amazing year for them. And in doing that, you know, that I've, when I was finishing up the top 30, I was looking at it. I'm like, you know, the guys I'm ranking 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 on this list. There's a lot of 30s I've done before where I'd probably be putting some of these guys. 13, 14, 15. That's, that's the thing that will be interesting to see. They're going to have a lot of, of sorting out to do over the next two years because, for one, if all of these guys make it, which they're not, but if they did, they have more starters. They have more starting pitchers coming up than they can use. I mean, there's, they have more starters who would project to be starters in the big leagues than they can use. They're not all going to make it. But now part of the test becomes, we saw this, you, know, you see this with teams, 
okay, you've got to figure out which guys are the guys to keep, and then you're going to need to probably move a couple of guys at some point to fill holes in your, you know, in your lineup or in, you know, in your bullpen or whatever that are are not going to be filled from the farm system because you're not going to you're not going to put together a roster in 2012, 2013 that is entirely homegrown guys who've come up in the next, you know, in the last two years. Yeah, I think there there's going to be a lot of opportunities for those for those young players to step in because there there's, are a lot of holes. There's nothing. That, that's that's the interesting thing with this is that there's almost nothing in the, on the Royals, you know, especially in the lineup. There are very few guys who you say, well, you you can't move him. Billy Butler is is he's not you know he's not someone you couldn't move in a deal or something. But Billy Butler is kind of a cornerstone guy for them. Hits in a lot of double plays, but also hits pretty well. Probably a DH for them once all these guys come up. Mm-hmm. Going beyond that, who else on that you know who else in that lineup do you say, well, you know, well, someone says blocked by him? No, I don't think there's really anybody who's <laughs> who's going to be blocked once these once these guys are ready. Uh, you know, once Hosmer, or once Myers or, or Mustakis, uh, you know, once these guys are ready to be able to handle big league pitching, they're, they're, I don't see any roadblocks really to to keeping them out. And and the other thing with that is is that on the pitching side, Granke, who at some point may be traded, and Soria are probably the only two guys you say, well, no, 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 you know, those guys are guys you build around. The rest of it, the Royals have had a very fallow farm system for, for a while where they last two years they've promoted almost no one to the big leagues. So because of that, there's a lot of kind of older guys that they've just been on the roster because you have to fill out a roster. But it'll be interesting to see what the Royals did last year was that they signed several of these one-year free agents and then turned around and dealt them at the trading deadline. Probably going to see some of that again, I would imagine, because – Again, they have to fill out a roster to start the season, and not many of these guys are ready to be on the opening day roster. But I, it does seem like that late this year is when we'll start to see maybe a couple of guys, maybe you know Tim Collins, uh, maybe Lewis Coleman, a couple other guys like that may be there to start the 2011 season. But by the start of the 2012 season, you look at this top ten, and there's a whole lot of guys who could be you know, be ready for Kansas City. And, and then, you know, even beyond that, you have guys lower in the system, Chesler Cuthbert, uh, Jordano Ventura, Robinson Yambati, uh, you know, Jorge Bonifacio, <laughs> some really good young Latin right. players, too, who are going to start being able to, you know, who knows if the Royals are, are going to be able to hit on all their draft picks the way that they've uh, done so to date. But if they don't, they have young players coming over internationally who, who they're going to be able to supplement, uh, you know, from, from their right. draft and picks. They, they, the also, they also drafted Umberto Ardiaga and uh, – I mean, drafted – signed uh, mm-hmm. Ardiaga and uh, Orlando uh, Caliste, which that name could be about 12 different uh, iterations I've heard. But they've signed a couple of million-dollar shortstops this year in, in Latin America as well. But the thing that will be – interesting to see what that is is that there was kind of this gap because they they drafted high school guys high ceiling high school guys followed it up with some college guys like christian cologne so they have all these guys packed together so now when it comes to the draft they almost have to they did get some guys like jason adam and all this year but there will be brett eibner you know is a little slower moving than maybe like cologne but it'll be interesting to see the draft next year they may you know be interesting to see if they go back a little more high school heavy because it's time to build a next wave uh, of prospects but with that, 
the thing that jumps out is is that we hear more and more about the possibility of hard slotting. And because, well, you know, the draft just unfair and, you know, all these players fall to the Yankees and the Red Sox and all that, I, I can't think of a team out there who would be more adversely affected by hard slotting than Royals. Because this is the only competitive advantage they have. They're not going out there and, and outbidding guys. You know, they're not going to be in the Cliff Lee sweepstakes and say, hey, oh, okay, well, the Yankees are going to give you this. We'll give you two more, two million more a year. But when it comes to spending money on getting guys, you know, a little bit later on, a Will Myers. Will Myers was a first-round talent by everyone's estimation, but you know, when he fell a little bit, the asking price was too high for most people. They're like, well, I don't know if he's a two million dollar player. The Royals thought he was, and a lot of teams would now pay two million for him. They've had multiple guys they've done that with. You take away, you make it a hard slot. The Royals don't have Will Myers. The Royals don't have, you know, Tim Melville hadn't worked out yet, you know, but he's still an interesting prospect. They don't have Tim Melville. And you could go, you know, they don't have Jason Adam, who they drafted this year, who was, would have been in the top ten in a lot of the lists. But do you see, like, I mean, what do you see with hard slotting? You know, is there, is it, would it be a possibly a, a benefit for, for baseball? Or what do you see as, as kind of the, if that happens? I think it would hurt, uh, <laughs> it would hurt the Royals. It, it would hurt a lot of teams that are trying to build through uh, scouting and, and player development. Uh, teams that are teams like the Indians now who are becoming more uh, aggressive in the drafts because you know you'll, you'll get the Indians list this year and uh, you know they went over slot and, and got guys like Levon Washington and Tony Walters and you know Alex Levisky you know didn't make their top ten but uh, they got they got they added a lot of talent through the draft by going over slot and I think that that's going to pay off for teams that are willing to do that down the road, whereas, you know, some of the other teams that, you know, stick to slot, you know, <laughs> their drafts just haven't been quite as, as fruitful. And, and going even beyond, like, the guys like that you mentioned, like guys I mentioned, like Will Myers, Eric Hosmer probably goes to college if there's a hard slotting system. I mean, that he's not getting $6 million in a hard slot system. It's just not going to be – that that's going to be interesting to see. If that does happen – does that mean that most all top high school prospects go to college because, you know, if you're – well, in Hosmer's case, maybe it doesn't affect him too much because he was a top five pick. But right. if you're going to be a, even a late first-round pick going to college, is the money better just to go to college to get that college education? And then also if they hope that, hey, you move up a little bit in the draft in, in three years – you mentioned Levon. Derek Robinson is a guy who, the, you know, who hadn't really worked out all that great. He's still a solid prospect for the Royals, but they signed him away from football. You see a lot of guys that you know are signed away from football. You're not going to sign high school guys away from football if, if there's a hard slotting system. No, so there's no, no chance. <laughs> no, it's like because the money just all of a sudden saying I'm going to turn down $400,000 as a high school senior is really hard to do saying that I'm going to turn down 100000 for the chance of being a, a first-round pick in the NFL in a couple of years. Is Plus, apparently college football pays pretty well. Yeah, too, yeah. So. yeah <laughs> apparently, it's, a, it's a, lucrative, uh, a lucrative business. But, um, but so, yeah, we, well, we, like I said, we wanted to, to touch on, on the Royals and Indians uh, extensively. We'll, we'll have another podcast next week where we'll also dive into the, the Central as a whole. Well, I mean, we have the Tigers up today. What do you think of the, the Tigers list before we, before we head out? Uh, I think it's... I really like their top two. Uh, really, you know, Jacob Turner, Turner is Nick. one of the best pitching prospects in the game. I think Nick Castellanos is going to turn into, 
one of, one of the best draft picks of this year's draft. I think he's going to uh, – I'd, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't hit next year in, in the Midwest League. Uh, I think he has a great swing. I think there's the, – the bat has huge, huge upside, and obviously the Tigers were excited to have him. Uh, so I, I think that's going to be – that's going to turn into one of the bigger st- – I don't mean, know, they paid a lot for him, but for where they got him, right. that's going to turn into, uh, I think, one of the bigger steals. Uh, another guy's example that we're talking about, about, you know, with there being – the ability to go over slot. That's the Tigers got him because they were willing to go over slot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so first it, round supplemental pick. Th- those two guys, you know, you, you can stack them up against uh, you know a, a lot of other top twos out there, and they're going to look pretty well. Uh, the problem is after that, it tails off pretty quick. Yeah, you know, Andy Oliver, Casey Crosby, um, you know, they they throw hard. You know how how much. Uh, you know Francisco Martinez, Daniel Fields. You know th- these guys have some some upside, but there's a, a lot more question marks that they have. You know Crosby's health. Uh, you know so, you know how much guys like Fields or, or Martinez are, are going to be able to uh, to hit against you know more advanced pitching. You know you know the, the, considering what they've proven already, uh, it's you know. I realize they were given hard assignments going to uh, Lakeland in, in the Florida State League, uh, given that Martinez was, was 19, Fields was nine, also 19. Nine, 19 in Martinez's case, but 19 coming out of essentially having played. I mean, he not, didn't just skip low A. He skipped from low rookie ball. Yeah, so uh, I understand it was it, it was aggressive assignments, but at the same time, uh, for, for your number four or five prospects. You'd rather like, see those guys at number 10, number 11. Is that a Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the, the way I'd put it, too, is that th- those aren't th- those are good guys to have in your system, but for four and five, you, you'd like to see, and it's it, you can't compare it to the Royals, no, but obviously. That's what I was going to say, but it's not a fair <laughs> comparison, but if you took Chesler Cuthbert and compared him to Francisco Martinez, you know, I'd probably put Chesler Cuthbert at, at uh, you know ahead of Martinez. So it's if that's, you put Daniel Fields, Daniel Fields probably sits somewhere in the twenties on the Royals list. To be honest with you, I mean, yeah, oh, oh, that's or, not a knock against Daniel Fields, but just he he has a long way to prove. You know, re- realistically, I mean, like it's you know it's an interesting exercise, but like let's say like you know look at you did the Indians list. Where mm-hmm. would where would Daniel Fields probably would he slot in the top ten on the on the Indians list? Yeah, you know, he might slot in somewhere, you know, in that eight to uh, eight to ten kind of range, but you know, I I wouldn't I I really like uh, Levon Washington actually. I, I think he could he has the potential to may you know if, if everything clicks for him, uh, you know, he could even be the number one prospect in the Indian system next year. I, I think his upside is is tremendous, but uh, you know, I. I, I you know, I I can see putting him ahead of a guy like Walters or Gardner or, or certainly Hagedon, who you know number ten was a a difficult call in the Indian system because uh, you know Hagedon, you know there's still some upside there, but uh, certainly a lot of concerns with his delivery and, and his control when, at this point. When you're projecting as when he projects possibly as you know a, a setup man, which that that's possible, right? I mean that's oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean I can certainly see him never having the control to even be a reliable. Uh, setup man. So there's certainly still a, a high level of, of risk there, but uh, you know, like like with the Tigers, it's uh, good. Good, you know, those guys are good guys to have, but you'd rather see them more in the uh, 11 to 30 range than uh, some of the guys that they have in, in the top 10. 
Right. It, it does seem like it's a pitching-heavy system overall, too. Like, there's not a whole lot of, of position prospects in the Tiger system right now. But, as you mentioned, that top two is uh, that's a good place to start. You know, And they have moved guys aggressively, so they also have some guys who are just sitting in the in, in the big leagues having already used up their eligibility. But, well, that's uh, our time for today. We do want to remind you again that the Baseball America podcast is sponsored by MLB Network, and we're broadcasting from the MLB Network podcast nook. And we also wanted to remind you to be checking out BaseballAmerica.com. We're rolling out new top tens. We'll have the other two top tens for the uh, AL Central next week, the White Sox and the Twins. We'll have chats with that for subscribers. We'll follow that up with the AL West followed them by the NL East, Central, and West. So we'll keep rolling out top tens for really about the next uh, two, two and a half months still. And also, if you enjoy this, if you if ten's not enough for you, and we know it's not enough for us, be also making sure, you know, Great Christmas Gift is the uh, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, which we're working on, because in that you get 900, actually a little bit over 900 scouting reports, depth charts that go well beyond that, depth charts they'll go to really about the top 45 to 60 prospects in every organization. So you can check that out at BaseballAmerica.com. You go to the sto- click on Store, and you can pre-order your Baseball America Prospect Handbook. So for Ben Battler, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks for the download, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>